0: Hello, my friends, and welcome to The Bible in Order, where we are chronologically going through the entire Bible in one year. Today's reading for September 21st is Zechariah chapters 1 through 7, first half of the book. Zechariah was a contemporary of Haggai. He was writing during the end of the exile and the rebuilding of the temple, as we see, and he has this series of visions that we are digging into today. It begins with a call to repentance. The people had been judged by God. That's why there was an exile, because of their sin. And after repeated warnings, God was saying, if you don't repent, if you don't do the right thing, bad things are going to happen. And the people didn't repent. And so the exile takes place. The temple is destroyed. And God says in verse 2, Return to me, and I will return to you eventually. Here we are, after 70 years of exile, the people repented. And as Yahweh of armies decided to deal with us for our ways and our deeds, so he has dealt with it. Dealt with us, so the people are acknowledging that it was their own fault, it was because of the sin of their parents and grandparents and even some of the older people in their generation. The first vision is one of horsemen and horses a lot of times in scripture are used to describe creatures of war. Now it's always important for us to keep in mind prophetic visions are not to be taken literally. I think if God opened our eyes into the spirit realm and we saw Chariots and war horses adorned for battle, it would be to show us that he is about to go into battle, or perhaps he is surrounding us to protect us from the attack of the enemy, or that we have an angelic army with us as we are moving forward and working with him. But it doesn't mean that there are literal spiritual horses flying around in our midst it's what does a horse represent of course during zechariah's time normal ordinary people did not ride horses it was mostly kings who had horses trained for battle so when we see horses mentioned here in the scripture we are seeing that god is calling our attention to the idea that there is a spiritual battle taking place and we're told that these horsemen although they have the appearance and could go off into war their primary job is to be on patrol and reporting back to heaven the things that they are seeing. God has many names throughout the Bible and we've been reading a lot in this time frame God is continually referred to as Yahweh, or many of your Bibles will say Lord of hosts, which is another translation of Yahweh of armies. So God is tired of messing around and he is ready to go to war against sin and sinners who refuse to repent. But in this time, we're starting to see this Change The mercy of God is coming back to the forefront because the hearts of the people have come back to him. How long, Lord of armies, will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem? Yahweh replied with kind and comforting word. Down in verse 17, Yahweh will once more comfort Zion. So there is a hope given to the people of the good things and the blessing that is to come from Yahweh after the 70 years of exile and the horror of the city being besieged leading up to that time. In chapter 2 we see another vision and this one is measuring Jerusalem. He wants to know how wide and how long the city is. Is it because God doesn't know? Of course, God already knows. But there's a prophetic image there that God is going to take in account. There will be a reckoning and it might not be a physical city. Perhaps it's a spiritual city made up of living stones, i.e. you and I. God is going to put us on the scales and see if we are lacking anything or not. Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls because of the number of the people and the animals in it. Verse 4, so what does it matter the size of the city if there's not even going to be walls around it and it's not going to be big enough to hold all of the people and the animals anyway? And again, this wonderful promise, I myself will be a wall of fire around that city and I will be the glory within it how glorious it will be to live in a place where God is the light like the sun it's reminiscent of what we read in the end of Revelation where God says there will be no need for a sun because I will be the light and there will not be any night it would also be nice to live in a place where you don't have to worry about having a wall because you don't have to worry about safety because God is the one protecting everything In chapter 2, verse 7, God says, Listen, Zion, escape you who are living with daughter Babylon. Once again, God is saying, come out of confusion. Babylon is confusion. Come out of that confusion. Come and dwell with me, God says. He's saying it again and again. Shout for joy and be glad, for I am coming to dwell among you. Again, it's the picture of, God dwelling with his people. It's prophetic. It's something that's going to happen in the future, although we get a taste of it here and now. And the people even back then, 2,500 years ago, were getting a taste of it as well. Let all humanity be silent before Yahweh, for from his holy dwelling he has roused himself. Imagine being in a That we physically see God getting up off of the throne of heaven to come down and make his dwelling among us. Now, when we come to chapter 3, it's important that we understand that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and the New Testament was written in Greek. And the reason I bring that up now is because this man named Joshua, the name Joshua in English comes from the Hebrew Yahushua or Yeshua. And Yahushua means salvation of Yahweh. The name Jesus, which is translated from the Greek Yesu, means salvation of Yahweh. What I'm getting at is the name Jesus and the name Joshua and the name Yeshua or Yehoshua are all the same name in different languages. And perhaps if the New Testament had been written in Hebrew as the Old Testament was, there wouldn't be any confusion about the idea that Joshua is the same name as Jesus, as is Yesu in the Greek, and Yehoshua, in hebrew chapter 3 begins then he showed me the high priest joshua standing before the angel of yahweh with satan standing at his right side to accuse him that's what satan does his name means accuser he is the accuser of the believers or the brethren and he points out the things that we do wrong the areas that we need to grow in, the areas that we remain impure in, and he is given permission to discipline us to a degree so that we will grow in those areas. Our sin should cause us some discomfort through the work of Satan taking hold of that, exposing it, using it to embarrass us or to bring us some other discomfort. That's what Satan does. However, if this high priest Joshua is representative on some level of our Messiah, Yeshua or Jesus, our Messiah was without sin. He did nothing wrong and Satan had no right to accuse him of anything. The fact that he was bearing the sins of the world was because he was doing a good thing. He was fulfilling what God the Father had asked him to do. It was the plan from the beginning to redeem us from our sin, to set us free from that sin. And it was on him that the punishment was laid so that we could have what we don't deserve and what we could not earn for ourselves. Yet Satan overstepped here, it appears accusing the one who was without sin. On one level, this was probably talking about the literal Joshua or Yehoshua, who was high priest during that time, during the rebuilding of the temple. But prophetically, it's also talking about, I believe, this Yeshua, who is our Messiah, who is building the third temple which is made up of living stones namely you and I being fashioned together as a royal priesthood so because Satan overstepped he is rebuked by God Yahweh said to Satan Yahweh rebuke you now some of your translations will say it was the angel of Yahweh the angel of the Lord that's fine too, whether it came directly from the mouth of God or through one of his messengers, the point is the same. Satan overstepped and he was rebuked for it. Isn't this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Some translations would say a firebrand snatched from the fire. What is a firebrand? The metal prod that people use to stir a campfire? It gives me the idea that what Jesus went through on the cross on our behalf was a difficult load to bear. It's why he sweat droplets of blood while he thought about what he was about. It's why he sweat droplets of blood as he considered what he was about to go through on that fateful night. It was not easy. The fact that he was snatched from the fire gives me the picture in my mind that as soon as his job was done he was removed at least one of the guards when they went to break his legs to ensure that he would be dead before sundown so they could take his body off of the cross was surprised that Jesus had already passed away bearing our sin and being separated from the Father in that sense because the father could not look on our sin was a very difficult and burdensome task and it did not need to go on any longer than what was absolutely necessary as soon as jesus said the words it is finished he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit the good news resulting is down in verse 7 where Yahweh of army says if you walk in my ways and keep my mandates you will both rule my house and take care of my courts I will also grant you access among those who are standing here in other words there will no longer be any separation you can come here you can reign with me from heaven you have been granted access because of your faithfulness And friends, we as believers in him have been granted access because of his faithfulness. Just like God could not look on him while he was bearing the sins of the world, God now does not look on our sin any longer. We are clothed in his righteousness. He has earned it for us. And now we are set free from sin and death if we so choose. Many Christians say they believe that yet the way we live does not embody that we have these little blind spots and fortunately we have one another to help uncover those blind spots but we need each other that's one of the reasons it's so fundamentally important that we be in community with other people who love us enough to tell us the truth chapter four has the vision of the gold lampstand. With the seven lamps, it's reminiscent of the seven churches in Revelation, the first few chapters. It's important that we know this verse in its context, not by strength nor by might, but by my spirit, says Yahweh of armies. The power that comes to the church comes in and through the Lord God Almighty, not by anything that we do. God surrounded it by people who were shouting out grace, grace to it. Chapter 5 has a vision of a flying scroll that brings judgment to people who lie and steal. And it says that their houses will be utterly destroyed. In chapter 6, there are four chariots. And again, chariots are reminiscent of going off into war. And I want to focus for just a moment in the last part of chapter 6 the crowning of the branch take silver and gold make a crown actually this translation is kind of falling down there the literal says make crowns and place them on the head of joshua son of jehoshadak the high priest tell him this is what yahweh of army says here's a man whose name is branch and he will branch out from this place and build Yahweh's temple. He will build Yahweh's temple. He will bear royal splendor and he will sit on his throne and rule. Now, is this talking about a man who is a priest or is it talking about our Messiah? It's very interesting, the overlap, don't you think? There will be a priest on his throne and there will be peaceful council between the two of them. The crown will reside in Yahweh's temple as a memorial, people who are far off will come and build Yahweh's temple and you will know that Yahweh of armies has sent me to you. This will happen when you fully obey Yahweh your God. And I believe it's referring to an end time period that will happen after Jesus returns, but Jesus is going to return when his people are fully obedient, when we have been purified. And so we need to lay down the things, that the sin that so easily entangles, as we are told in Hebrews, and run with endurance the race that has been set out before us, what are the sins that are entangling you that are keeping you from running effectively? We all have them. By God's grace, we will all lay them down. May it even be today. Chapter 7 is really talking about religious works. God says, When you fasted and lamented, did you really fast for me? When you say, Christian, I'm going to fast Facebook or social media for 30 days, do you replace it with Netflix? <laughs> What is the point of that? We need to return to him with all of our hearts, not just to check off a religious box. God says in verse nine, make fair decisions show faithful love and compassion to one another. It always comes back to the same thing. Loving God, putting off presumption, stop trying to impress people with the way we look and the things that we do on the outside. Jesus said to the Pharisees, don't worry about the outside of the dish that people can see. Worry about the inside. God doesn't care about how impressed people are with how often we go to church. I could put the Bible on the dashboard of my car and carry it into Starbucks whenever I go, but unless I crack it open and read it, I'll never really be pleasing him by just carrying it around so the goal is to be holy not just to act holy to love people not just to talk about loving people but to go out and make a difference make this world a better place and prepare it for his return may god bless you as you seek him thank you for being on this journey with me sorry for the long post a lot to cram in in seven chapters see you tomorrow